Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL talk. Week one of the finals is in the books, Boxhead, and we are back a day later than usual. It's been a hectic week. Mm. Found, me, found myself in hospital on Sunday night. So, yeah, you've been in hospital. I've been working during all the blow-ups and the wet, wild weather. So it's been a fun time for everybody. But we're still here, as we always do. We show up every week. And we don't skip. We're for here. the fans, we're here for the fans. Oh. It uh, would have been easy to probably give this one a miss, but great. no. no. We never miss. We, we never, never miss. miss a week. doesn't happen. But finals week one, uh, it was a cracker. It was pretty good. There was some absolute blowouts, but uh, there were some pretty impressive performances in that. And there was a couple of games that were, you know, a, a little bit closer. Or oh, Sorry, I should take that back. There was one game that was very, very close. Obviously, the Storm Raiders one, which was a bit of an arm wrestle. But a few teams making statements. And the top eight system done its job. Seventh and eighth are gone. Yeah. It's a reward for mediocrity, isn't it, really? So, those Those two teams... Particularly Brisbane, uh, I, I, had, I had a little bit of uh, numbers smashing uh, after our podcast last week, and just looked at the stats between Brisbane and West Tigers, and West Tigers numbers were so much better than Brisbane's it wasn't funny. I agree with you, but I can also make the um, argument similar and look, to you numbers that, again, you know, whatever. But like you said earlier, they shouldn't have lost the two games to the dogs. I know the dogs come that, good at the yeah. back end. They also but had I, I think less they had origin, a lot, more, a lot more go. Yeah, but they had less origin well. effect as well. So I think there's Far things out. like that that kind of you know. No, I'm just talking. I, I and based on the performance, yeah, I believe that the West Tigers would have put in a much better account of themselves than I know. Throw the Sharks into that as well. I think the Tigers would have put in a better performance than the Sharks did. Yeah, the Sharks yeah. look like they played their grand final the week before. Well, that's the whole thing, I guess. The week before, though, they they beat the Tigers. So it probably goes back more to the point of what you're saying. Why people are going, this team shouldn't have been in, or the Sharks were awful, or they were awful, or Newcastle fell apart. Penrith had a bad back end of the year. Like, who do you put in? And do they really deserve to be there? I think the only team, like you're saying, that I could give any kind of sympathy to is the Tigers, because I think the Tigers batter well above their average considering their circumstances and the issues and injuries they had. So they, they were certainly the side that overachieved, definitely. Yeah, they're the only one that I'll kind of give any mercy to outside the eight. Do I think they could have gone on a run? No. But again, no, I think they get beat as well. But I just mean in terms of... They would have put eff- up a much better Reward effort. for effort, yeah. yeah. I, would have been massive. The Sharks in Brisbane, they probably got their own talent. Yeah. More been... than effort and want. And the performance out of both those sides from the weekend just... Gave absolute credence to that. Yep. Well, let's kick it off as we always do with our set of six. Six things we want to talk about, questions, topics, statements, whatever we want to say. Uh, The first one, I think a lot of people made jokes about it when I put up the post last night that we weren't going to be recording last night, is Brisbane. And Brisbane in general, obviously, 
First, what were they, they joking about? Oh, saying you blokes have a big note on the Bricky's laptops or whatever. Oh. We're out, we're <laughs> the Bricky's laptop? Yeah, it's the Bricky. I've never heard that. You kidding? It's, no. Hey, it's the bloody, That's good. It's a tradesman's calculator. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Someone else called it something. You're living under a rock. That's what, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a tradesman. That's it's the Bricky's laptop. Bricky's laptop. It's a labourer's calculator. There's a few different you know, I heard it. one last night that made me giggle. Like, it might have been on 360 or one of the other shows. Anyway, yeah, play on. Sorry. Yeah, well, Brisbane in general, obviously a fair bit going on. Uh, first, they got shellacked by 58 points, and it looked like, you know, they were just dead set there to make up the numbers. Then it comes out a day later that they were out and about after. They did meet the requirements of a team dinner, apparently, at a hotel, but then decided it was a smart idea to go play the pokies. So apparently they weren't drinking, which that's all well and good, but it's just the pure fact that you've gone to play the pokies at like 10, 11 o'clock at night the night before a semi-final pretty much shows that you're, you're not giving too many fucks, if you're going to be completely honest. And Someone was quoted as saying they ask Anthony Milford, aren't you playing a game tomorrow at 4 o'clock? And he apparently says, oh, I think it's like at 6 or something, eh? So not really great when your players are out doing that the night before. There's been plenty of barbs thrown at Seabold again, and I know the media's heavily driving that agenda. That this is all his fault, even though I could go on another tangent, as I have many, many times before, about a lot of the bear traps that were left prior to his arrival, and a lot of the culture or the pulling against him is generally coming from people that are probably going to be out on their ass, or similar to James Roberts that have resisted the change. Uh, well, what's made this? What, what's made this a bigger issue? What's the, what's the what's the biggest issue to come out of the weekend? Is that they got fucking pumped by fifty eight? Mm. If they won, you wouldn't hear about or it. If they or if they close. come close, you wouldn't hear about it. But from so day one, the result, been after him. the result is what's made this. Yeah. A more significant crime than what it would have been what it would have been any other time if they won, lost close, whatever. So was it the worst sort of behaviour that you've ever seen from footballers? No. No, it was just fucking dumb. But if I'm a coach and I'm travelling away and my team is under a lot of pressure, a lot of criticism, has probably underachieved until that point in the year has had a lot of criticism about their away performances in particular, I would be mortified and angry if players went out and did what those Broncos players did, particularly when a lot of them are your senior players. Matt Gillett Ooh. was one of them. He was playing his 200th game the next day. That was day. the thing I was going to say. More disappointing than anything. Haas is 19. Fafida is 19. Those guys are younger. Milford should yeah, definitely but know you better. Know what's, but when you Gillette, know what's even more dangerous when is Gillette that they're, they're also... They're the future. They're the future, and these guys who are leading them out are their role models, are yeah, showing that's them my what... point. Yeah, so and apparently, there's a lot of other issues to this. Is it the worst crime in the world? No, no. because players who go out and play pokies, whatever, they weren't drinking. I, I don't really care if they were drinking or not. Like It would just be... It would make things 100 times worse if they were drinking, but you're still t- deterring and taking away from your performance. Yeah. To, you know, 1%, 0%, 0.5%. 3%, whatever it is, yeah. you're still not giving yourself the best chance. And more so, it probably tells you where your head's at. And the result has just blown it into probably out of proportion in my opinion. But, mm-hmm. again, I understand why why fans, why stakeholders, why the media, why the Broncos club themselves have then now had to get into crisis mode because the result suggests that you have to do that, that it's not good enough and that there is a problem. So it's well to me unbelievable. The younger guys have re-signed and committed. Is it just for money, or are they committed to the coach? Some of the older guys, and again, some but do of the, you really do you ever sign a contract committed to the coach? 
No, you commit into a club. You commit to the club, don't you? you? Should in, be, in your playing group. Yeah, and you and obviously committed. the coach has a part, a part in that. It's part of the deal. Uh, but more so, I think you commit to where you live, the, the friends you have there, the club. Is the club going in the right direction? Coaches come and go. Like we saw last year that Bennett and Seabold flipped without being sacked. You then have other situations where coaches get the punt. You know, and I understand that players there would either like or dislike him. And look, that all goes on relationships. And a lot of the reasons why players dislike coaches is because they've probably brought you to account and they've probably had some hard conversations with you. But as a coach, that's part of the job. If I'm not doing that, then you don't have any standards. This sort yeah. of behaviour is going on all the time. So it's a fine line. I've got no doubt in the world uh, that Anthony Seabold would have made it very clear on his expectations around what the players needed to do and what they were, what their schedule would have been. This was free time. This was a decision made by the players. I don't think this is a reflection on the coach no. from an organisational perspective. I do think it is a disrespectful behaviour towards yeah. a coach. By the playing group. Uh, and, and it would hurt me if I was coaching the Broncos. I would be hurt. And I have no doubt that Anthony Seabold, especially considering all the, the criticism he's come under, you'd like to think that the players around you and that insular group, you'd, you'd, you'd like to think that you're going to protect each other. Mm. And I think there's been a few times this year through their performances uh, and through just behaviour in general that they've brought him under more pressure than you know, what and has externally he's been exposed to. Some of it has been exposed to internally by those around him, and that would be massively disappointing. And the biggest one for me, like I said again, the young guys is disappointing, but the fact that apparently they were going to do it, which is poor behaviour, and they reckon that Gillette and McCulloch or whatever jumped on board afterwards, they should have been the ones to stop it. Yeah. And I think the bigger disrespect comes from that side of things like you're saying, because to me that says basically what you're getting at, the disrespect or a lack of leadership or lack of respect to someone to not want to take responsibility or try and do something for your coach, you know, to stop those younger blokes or set an example. For guys like McCulloch, Darius Boyd, etc., they're probably on the outer or previously... Did uh, Boyd, was Boyd one of them? No, he wasn't one of them. Okay. I'm just saying, like, those senior guys there, you think would be pulling a little more weight or trying to help the coach. The fact that people in the media are already saying, oh, they're off him, they've lost the dressing room, he's got no respect for him, well... He's there for another four or five years. He's got five years. And like he's got I said, four years left with with a year option. Which these is guys in his favor. have also committed. So whether they've committed, like you're saying, just because of the club and the money, and they want to be there, he's part of the deal. He's walked into a difficult situation, and they had bigger offers to go elsewhere. So clearly, that they're not the younger blokes aren't that much off the couch. No, all the older guys that everyone's ranting and raving saying, "Oh, they're off him." They're off him for a good reason because they got contracts they didn't fucking deserve, and they're not playing up to the standard of their contracts. And he's trying to move them on. And contracts that he didn't... No different to when James Robertson. We're talking about standards again. Went against him and tried to resist and went out on the piss after getting injured and wondered why he was getting put under scrutiny and, oh, poor me, I'm the victim. Bullshit, you're the victim. You're getting paid 700 fucking thousand dollars to play rugby league and be a professional. And just because like Uncle Wayne let you go out and do whatever you want and the, the line was from everybody that Wayne basically explained it, that this is what James needs to do to get himself ready for a game, well, that's Wayne Bennett's decision. He's been doing it for 30, 40 years. If he wants to do it that way and that works for him, that's fine. But they've got a different coach now who's come with a different set of standards. Same as the preseason. We all knew from day one that he basically said they're not even close to his fit or yeah. up to the standard that he wanted because apparently the preseason was very different under Wayne Bennett. What I, what I do think Seabold needs to do is just shut up. Yeah, he needs just to stop get, talking. Get We've the, said this a few times. Yeah, stop talking because it's just bringing criticism on him. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. No. But... Just head down, bum up, man. Have faith in what you're doing. And there's no doubt he's, he's, he knows what he's doing. 
And that's the head thing, down, like, bum up. Just get the job done. Say what you need to say. Attend the the presses that you need to yeah. attend to. Don't make comment about anyone externally to the organisation because I just think that brings that's that's a recipe for blowback. Uh, you know, which he did. I don't think intentionally with Luke Keary, but then got in the slangy match with Bennett and uh, Demetrio as well. I just and I don't think it's ever been about Seabold, but it just gives that impression that you're making a little bit about yourself. And it's not. It, I don't think any of his um, intent is to make it about himself. Yeah, this, He's just been a little bit defensive this year, and I, I understand why because yeah. it has been a difficult situation. Well, they've, they've but moving come forward, for I just think head down, bum up. Just comment about you, your job, your players, your organisation. The outside noise, we know. Does, it's, you cannot control anything that happens externally to your organisation. No. So and keep your head in your organisation. My man. whole point is, and I know we've got some Brisbane fans on here, and there probably are people that don't like him, and that's fair enough. And it may sound like we're a bit of a homer for him. I don't know. I don't know him from a bar. So you had a little bit to do with him when you did one of those courses. You have an idea. I'm just going purely off what I know of yeah, him Yeah, but we as a coach. sort of exchange, still exchange emails yeah. to this day. I'm more, going, more from a coaching perspective, yeah, no. not a personal I'm going from a neutral perspective. perspective because I don't yeah. know him from a bar. So I'm going off what I know from players that I played with that are still playing that have been coached by him either at Melbourne 20s, Manly, now at South when he was at South, and there's a couple there now at Brisbane. And I'm just going off what I've seen and what I know about him as well. And I just hope that some people are smart enough to realise, again, what we see a lot of the time and people buy into it, is the media agenda that's been driven from day one here. He took Wayne Bennett's job and, you know, he turned his back on. It's like, I'll, I'll give some credence to the fact that he probably handled the South thing pretty badly as well. He didn't give them a clear idea. He was staying. Is he not staying? He moved on. People are pissed off. Wayne Bennett got moved on. He goes to South. The players don't buy in. But the fact that the media all year is like... Players don't respect him. He let go of quality. Like he didn't let go. Like fucking Cody Nikarima couldn't well, even. Cody Nikarima went to the Warriors and then got dropped. Jordan Kahu hasn't even lasted twelve months for this quality international that they've all yeah. made out right. And all these ex-players and the media Josh again. McGuire. Yeah, but we go back to another more important point. All the players, ex-players and media that are driving this agenda on the fact of Kevy Walters because he's such a great black. Like again, I, I don't know Kevy Walters and, and the coaching perspective, but you've got to look at these comments and look at where they're coming from. A lot of this agenda is being driven purely from that side of things as well. Like Lazo and all these guys that have spoken out this year, half of it, in from my opinion, is coming from the fact that they're still filthy that Kevy didn't get the job. Yeah, and they, and I don't they think also he... don't know what's going on inside the four walls. And I highly think, like you, that if they do buy in and the majority of the young guys do buy in and he does get to clean out the dead wood and get rid of those contracts, that it will be successful. He'll turn it around. I have no doubt. If, if given the opportunity. But the problem is here, that's half the issue. Is he going to get the opportunity? Is this going to fall apart quicker than it can? We know they've got plenty of money. I highly doubt they're crazy enough to try and get rid of him this early. And again, who are you getting? No, they're not, they're not getting rid of him. No, and I'm with you there. But the talk is already, oh, he's lost the room. We'll get rid of Like, the fucking media-driven agenda. I hope people are just smart well, he's lost. Of course he's lost players that yeah. he's told that... Because they're trying to get rid of them. Yeah. You, you're not in our plans. Of course he's lost them. I'll highlight it again. That's like if, if, I, get, if I went to anyone in any organisation, mm-hmm. in any workplace, and I said to you, you don't have a job past this point in time, don't. up until that point, you are not going to put in your best effort that no. you would if you knew you were going to be employed post that date. That's just anyone again natural human behaviour, I think. Look at it for that reason. I'll argue with anyone. Tell me that you're missing Cody Nicarima or he's a quality player They're not. that they needed. They're not. They're not. Tell me that James Roberts was worthwhile keeping, who was cancerous to the culture, and what's Last he done? Last year, he's taken them to the same spot Step in the finals, off. right? No, they, they got flogged in the well, elimination semi, right? By the Dragons last year by 40-odd. 
This year they got flogged by 50-odd, and I think they've played with a far less talented squad. Or well, they've rebuilt with kids. There you go. And my whole point again... So if you're going to compare it, they got beat by, they got flogged, but they got flogged last year at home as well. And I, I will make... I think they're in a pretty similar position to what they were last year. Our man Buzz made one of his smartest comments or best comments the other night, I think, to James Hooper or someone in saying that just because Joey Johns is the eighth immortal, it doesn't make him right because Joey said they're a shoe in to win the comp. Look at it for what it is. And I've said well, this multiple times. I picked times. them to win the comp. They're a fucking under-20 side. They've had culture shock and changeover and blokes fighting. Their shit. Like, unless you, like you said, within the four walls or in a little bit, mm. it's, it wasn't ready-built. And it wasn't ready-built last year. So why did the standards change? You know why? Because it's a media-driven agenda against the fucking coach who took over as compared to Wayne Bennett or if Walters would have got the job. This would have been played out completely different. The fact that it's ended up being Seabold and there's been a bit of a shake-up and he's talked a little bit as well. And some of the bits and pieces that are going on, I think this has all been beaten up to much bigger than what it could have been. And it's getting yeah, really yeah. fucking old, to be honest. I'm sick of it. I'm really sick about hearing about it. Any argument out of me. But people sometimes just And, and look, I got that wrong. I got the prediction wrong. Uh, and I think probably to the point of six weeks in, I think they overachieved for the rest of the year because after six weeks, I wouldn't have had them playing finals. They were going like busters. No, but even Matt But part of that is around, yeah, yet those, those senior players, you think, well, these young kids are going to come in. The senior players are going to play well. Seabold's going to have an effect. And none of it came to fruition. I, I just And part of me, I just didn't want to pick roosters. Everyone was picking roosters. Roosters, 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 roosters. I don't want to pick the roosters. To me, it just seemed the easy way to go. And I still now don't think the roosters are going to win the comp. Or at least I hope they don't win the comp. Just because I, 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 like, I just like I just like seeing other teams come up and knock other teams off. Yeah, that's fair enough. To me, just just to see the same team win over and over and over again, you know, from a fan perspective, once my team is knocked out, I, I like to see just different teams win. Yeah, I'm that's all. That. all. As right. a fan, yeah. We spiraled out of control a bit on that, but I'm fucking I'm getting really sick of this whole beat up. And again, I, I, I can't defend some of the things he's done, like we've talked about. But in general, like people need to look a little bit beyond the point here and look into it a bit more. Like honestly, they've taken every opportunity they can to flog the dead horse. Anytime something happens, it's his fault and he needs to go and he's overpaid and how do you get that contract? Like if anyone should be getting questions, it's fucking Paul White. Yeah. And the board. What are they stop doing? stop feeding the agenda, yeah. Anthony. That's all I'd That's say. That's the only thing I'm it. it. And I have no doubt with a good off season and if Dearden's ready to go whether they can get someone else in there to play half, there's talk now they're even looking at Valentine Holmes or competing with him if he quits instead of him going to North Queensland to get him Cody, a Cody Walker. But you also, Why again, can they go and get Cody these Walker? These deals, these deals that are out there that aren't his. McCulloch, 600,000. Boyd, seven, 800,000. And then you're talking about the Jack Bird one, Jack which Bird, fucking Wayne yeah. Bennett left. It's 800. It's like we're talking almost $2.2 million in just dead money. Mm. And everyone's going, oh, they got this gun pack. They're fucking kids. We they're know. the same. They're playing essentially with the same salary cap handicap that the Titans are. Basically, because he's got and three the Titans or four. finished last by a country mile. And I don't like honestly, who watched Josh McGuire this year and thought the Broncos missed him? No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I said before. That's why I brought his name up. All like, the moves he for was salary suspended cap reasons. For, he just didn't play that well. No, he didn't. Like, but the, that wasn't his decision. Or I think that was a Bennett decision. No, I'm, I'm with you there, but I'm still sticking with what I've said that it's going to take maybe a year. And they go, oh, the Broncos don't rebuild. Well, guess what? You're having a bit of a fucking rebuild, whether you like it or not. And everyone's like, oh, they should never have a rebuild. It's happening. But that's what the salary cap does. That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Oh, no, the Broncos don't have rebuilds. Well, guess what? You've got this hot crop of young talent, and it's going to take more mm. than 12 months to suddenly turn into a premiership contender. Well, I think, you to be fair, this is, the some... first, this is the first time that they haven't had a stream of key position players coming through. Well, they did, but they've just 
mismanaged it clearly, and part of that goes mm. back to Wayne Bennett again, who was well, there prior I, I, to this. I don't know. I'm just saying that because he signed Nicarima, he signed Milford to have such a he good signed young crop Andrew of McCulloch, forwards. And he signed Darius Boyd. No, no, I, I get it. Tanner Boyd, I understand Ash that. Taylor. There's Dearden's near now. They've got Corey Payne. They've got a couple there, mm. but there's ones previously, and Ben Hunt was gone too. Yeah. And not that he set the world alight this year, but I'm just saying, like for all the blame, he's still, he's still better than any key yeah, position player. For got. all the blame again, that's going to Seabold. Everybody just take a look at the bigger picture here and look at some of the agendas that are going on behind it all. Mm. Like in the end, he might get fired and it may fail. Chopper, you but do, I'm just you saying, do, you do well to look at the motivation behind him saying that. Look at the full picture <laughs> first before everyone just goes, "Yeah, the media's right. Seabold's a fuck with. This is all wrong." Yeah. And the players, like fuck, the players are half more responsible for trying to you know carry on the way they've carried on. Like just fucking do your job. Yeah. Professional rugby league player. play better. All right, that was a massive tackle one. We've almost gone 15 on that one, but everyone was hammering the Broncos the last couple of days. It needed to be put into a bit of chat. Tackle two. This one was a bit last week, but it's just probably a more bigger underlying thing uh, that we need to talk about as far as the club perspective is going. The Tigers, they overachieved this season. We know that they've had the issue with him getting there, taken over 12 months after Ivan Cleary's similar deal. has put some contracts there that he's probably not a fan of. You've got Madalino, Packer, Reynolds, who they potentially won't be able to get rid of, or they're going to have to take a fairly decent hit on. Moses and Bai, who they weren't sold on, they've still got themselves into a position where they were playing last round to make the finals. They've put in a lot of kids who have overachieved. He's got Benji back to his best, Maguire. Corey Thompson's playing well over. They're just simple, plain and simple. Momorowski, Eisenhuth, everyone punched overs. They did very, very well to get to where they are. But the best player and one of the best signings they made was getting Madison from the Roosters, and I said as much this year and that I thought he should have played Origin, he was right there. But now to hear reports that after a good 12 months and starting to make head road, that he's potentially not happy or wanting out, and I put this more to a manager than Madison, because Madison doesn't strike me that way as a person as much as we all know managers' motivation when they sign a shit deal, that 12 months later they think they can always just come back to the table and kick up a stink. Mm, but he's still enabling it. Well, that's the manager's job, I guess, on that side of things and getting no, rid of... rubbish. If that was your manager, you'd ring... I'd be filthy, but getting rid of a manager, we've seen, is not Or you'd get on the front foot publicly and say, I'm here, I'm happy, done. Well, you'd that's, want to think so, wouldn't you? He but hasn't done anything. Clearly, on that side of things, he's talked to him and he probably agrees with it. And I'd probably agree, yeah, but you took the deal. And you've got him for two more years. And if you're going to go about it, my probably main issue, if this is a go, is you go to them on the sly. You don't let your manager start leaking stuff yeah. straight away, whether that was triggered by him or his manager. Surely you approach matter. the club first. But they're already in a tight situation in that regard. He's clearly worth more than what they signed him for at this point in time. Based on this year's yeah, performance, this year's yes. Not not based on him leaving the Roosters and getting signed for that because he obviously thought that's what he was, was worth at the start of the year. But he's only one game away from a season-ending injury and then is he going to give his coin back? No. No, of course he's not. So, side. look, I think... The, I'll, I'll put this very plain and simply. His frustrations are in that he knows that Packer... Madalino, Reynolds, and these guys are all playing reserve grade who are all on big wedge. But they're also preventing any potential upgrade for him. For the upgrade. He knew that when he went there. He knew the contracts they were on. Exactly, but he would know. Rubbish. He knew that they were on contracts. They were signed there on big deals. So suck it up and play. I think so. And a, I have no doubt that the Tigers are trying to move on Madalino. They are. Trying to move on Packer. We all know this. So They've when that gets Reynolds. done, Reynolds as well, no, when that gets done, you'll get an upgrade, Madison. No doubt No doubt in my mind based yeah. on your performances. But just let us do what we're doing in terms of our cap management. And Understand that from a Maguire point of view, these signings weren't made under my tenure, mate. No. I'm trying to manage this as best I can. Yes, you had a good year. Yes, you played well. Yes, you played above your contract. 
But my next line as a coach would be, understand that it's about consistency of performance in order to trigger an upgrade. And is one year of consistent performance enough to get an upgrade? Yeah, I would think so, like a slight upgrade, yeah. But again, the manager should be having a look in the mirror at himself if he didn't have oh, triggers in it to managers performance triggers managers to get are him an upgrade. Happy to go back to the well twelve months later when things go well. And I don't no. blame players for wanting to get their worth. But my whole should point have been is in the deal should have approached this better than this leaking out. It's been managed, Paul. Whether that was the manager, I'm sure it was the manager. I don't really think it would have been him, first of all. Yeah, but he's acting on his behalf. Yeah, I know, but managers generally fucking do their own thing, no, unfortunately. Well, that's, well, that a lot of them shouldn't do. Shouldn't be allowed. I could name names right here, but I can count less uh, managers' names on my hand than those that I'd trust for players. Well, I don't speak to any of them. You know, my so, philosophy on it, I can't stand managers. I can't stand player managers. Apart from your top-end guys that have been doing it for 20, 30 years... Most of them are just trailer managers that do it on the side or pick it up and just want to sign as many kids as they well, can. That's my point, though. There's only a yeah. handful that I genuinely would yeah. ever recommend Agreed. to a kid. Agreed. And I, I've dealt with a couple or you have ones through friends or had one yeah. of my own. Like, there's only a handful that I honestly think are in it for the right reason or are there for players who were former players. I've had four or five ring me to try and sign me as a coach. Mm. And just the same thing as a player. It's like, well, are you really going to get me a better gig than what I'm on now and am I going to get the gig because I'm a good coach or am I going to get the gig because well, you can talk well in a room I'd rather just get to where I'm going to get to based on my performance I can already make, results. A, already make a reference to my whole point, one of my old roommates, I won't name his name uh, basically said when I had a phone call one day when I was still at Canberra who was that? And I said that was my manager he's like are you off contract or something? I go nah, he's just ringing to check up how everything's going, he's like oh how often do you speak to him? I'm like oh you know, he texts me or every couple of weeks or so, kind of see what's going on, how he's training, how he's living. He's like, oh, so when's the last time you heard from your manager? Mm. He's like, probably 18 months ago when I signed. Yeah. I said, when are you coming off contract? He's Trailer manager. In the next six months. And that was a bigger name manager. Again, I won't name, but I was just like, well, clearly you've got yeah, a Yeah, but again, it's probably then got feeders underneath his brand my, to deal with those players. My point of wanting to sign, or when I did sign, I was similar to you. I didn't really want to have someone was, if I'm going to, technically invest in someone long-term, if it did turn out to be a career, I wanted to be able to at least trust or like the person that you're basically giving power to or enabling to act on your behalf. Mm. You'd want to have some sort of relationship with them, you'd think. But I, I, now, just, I now just deal with all of it myself. I go in and I talk to, you know, the head of football at West Tigers or back in my time at Penrith, just sit down and have a yarn about this is, you know, they'd say this is where you're going, this is what you're doing well, this is what you're not doing well, this is what you're worth, this is what we're going to offer you. And just have an honest conversation. But again, those those conversations are ongoing. From from my perspective, in uh, I guess in my experience, it's not like it just comes at one. There's one day at the end of every year that you sit down and you just have you hash it out. It's an ongoing thing. Yeah. Mate, you're going well. This is what we're thinking about for next year. You know, you're doing this well. You're not doing that well. Hey, mate, you're not going to be here next year. The only the surest thing as a coach is after you get hired, you're going to get fired. Yeah. But back to what we're talking about, I guess, on this side of things, disappointing that it leaked out. I'm sure they'll be able to manage the situation, but I guess it was just more for me. Like, when you start to make that headway and you've got somebody like him who you know is busting his ass, Maguire, and trying to turn every stone and get every drop of blood out of it to make things work, it's heading in the right direction. Of course. He's got, he's got buyer's regret. He he regrets going there. He doesn't and, like it there. Yeah, that's the only other thing I was just, And say. if that's the case, then go the and be honest. The other remarks are apparently he's too hard and it's different to what he had at Robert. Like, all oh, this kind Once of thing. Once you go to is the... But is the one that's been peddled. Highmarsh and a few others made the laughing comment that he didn't like Parra and that's why he left there in the first place. So I don't know. It's very, very confusing. But having spoken to a few people in, in the know, 
they're sort of saying that it's Parramatta. I, I thought it was to go back to the Roosters. When I, when I no, first saw it, I they thought... They wouldn't have the money, surely. You don't reckon? Well, nah. with Crocs, well, Parra, Parra's retiring. Yeah, well, they've already got Flanagan and they've got others on the way yeah, that they've but upgraded. But they already on the same wedge. Yeah, they've upgraded players. Yeah, I don't know. Look at the squad this year know. and some of the guys that have pushed it through that they've all upgraded already. Get it. But, it, like, yeah. again, you know, you hear talk about Warrior Hargreaves maybe going to Penrith. So if that well, got that, freed up, then that's it's... That's for Liu and Tedavano and a few other guys they're trying to jump. I don't know. That's the whole point. I'm just saying. I, I just... Let's put it this way, though. Gut, gut feel when I heard it, it was like, oh, he wants to go back to the Plain Russia. and simple, if he left the Tigers, it'd be a huge blow. Because Massive when bite. you're already in this situation where you're trying to build something in Maguire's situation, you're fighting a salary cap issue, and you've got somebody like that who just played their ass off, yeah. top three play every week, and borderline played Origin, who's 23, 24 years old, who can play back row, middle, fight. He's a gun. He's a dead set gun, and he, he busts his ass every week too. It just, it's a critical blow when you're really pushing shit uphill already. And the bigger blow is that you're now at a point where you're going to really struggle to get someone else in. Exactly. And Parramatta, for them, like, it's if a double you, whammy. If you're getting rid of Manor and a couple of these guys and they've already built a nice forward pack this year and they've got a great back five and you've got a young spine and you can add a guy who's borderline playing origin to your forward pack, it's a huge Handy. swing. So let's hope that doesn't happen to the Tigers and the Tigers fans out there because that would be a critical blow. Number three, speaking of Parramatta, Campbell Gillard, it's finally been agreed. He's been moved on from the Panthers. The murmurs were there from basically day dot or mid-year from the preseason. There was a handful of guys there that obviously uh, they weren't happy with as far as contracts. A lot of this done obviously previous to Ivan coming back and the majority of the deals, as you've said again, linked back to the previous board and Gus Gould. But this contract was ridiculous. This was Aaron Wood style to the Bulldogs. Basically, he was the highest paid prop at $900,000 and they were keen as mustard to offload it and pay up to $300,000 or more just to get rid of the deal. And the talk is, obviously, as you just mentioned before, that apparently with the Rooster situation, they don't want to let Jared go. But with all the young forwards, they've got emerging. Tupanua, Crichton, they've still got Cordner, Liu, Tedavano. They're going to have to top up a couple of those guys to keep pushing forward. Palasa Fomasuli, uh, Lindsay Collins. They've got another Fafita kid who's like 19 years old playing good in the lower grades. They've got a kid, Max, I can't think of last name, that Washington Cup, who plays 20s, playing Cup already 19. Apparently, the word is they'd be happy to let him go reluctantly but if you found another deal. So the talk is from Penrith's side of things. He goes to Parramatta, they pay a Porsche, and they free up about 600 and they try and get Jared for two or three years, which I don't mind the move, in all honesty, because I think he'd be much better for culture, helping build with that side, bringing uh, you know, some better traits and some better attributes around the training side of things and helping their young forwards. But from a from a Parramatta perspective, I guess 600,000, would you be happy with that? But five years of Regan Campbell-Gillard, of what you've seen? Because I'm still not sold on Campbell-Gillard at all. And I said as much last year, and I said it again this year. Like, for <laughs> all the, like, he's an enforcer and he's this and he's that. Like, literally, he's a bloke who shoots out of line every so often. And nine times out of ten, he doesn't come up with a shot anyway. Mm. And if he hits someone, he bounces off. He doesn't consistently make 100 metres every week. He's not a tackle buster. He's not an offloader. He doesn't have footwork. Like, I still don't really buy into the whole hype around Campbell Gillard. So well, I, never did, I never did. Even for 600000 in five years, like, I'm not really keen on the deal. Concerning thing is he's admitted in the last 24 hours that he hated playing rugby league this year. So if you're I, don't, I don't understand how a change in jersey is going to fix that problem. That's a you problem. That's mm-hmm. not a that's not a club problem. Did he did he make references to the club or not? I, I don't know. That, I but... just... I sort of flicked through the article, and again, how much of it is true, you, you don't know. But the, yeah, the, it was quoted there that he said that he he hated or did not enjoy playing rugby league this year. Well, we'd heard as much in the preseason that you know there were a few guys touching him up in the preseason, few of the younger, younger boys guys that were that... rough roughing him up, and he didn't like it. 
again, shoes on the other foot. You, well, you came, came for through, New South Wales and Australia. Well, you came through as a young buck there at mm. one point, and you would have roughed up a guy a little bit older than you and more experienced than you. So when the shoe's on the other foot, but you got to wear it. We go back to that same point. Criticism is warranted when you sign a contract of that length and that worth. Yeah, but he was signed that at the peak of his powers. Like, mm. that was good, good work from the manager. Yeah, and, and look, I, Penrith... I think Penrith... Got it wrong, to be honest. Probably a little bit too much. Overvalued. But yeah, not not far off. Like nine hundred. Yeah, I probably think for an Origin, if you've got a consistent Aussie he just and played. New South Wales state of origin player, you're probably looking at seven hundred, seven fifty. So yeah, I think they probably went over by one hundred fifty, two hundred. I think they that's went over fair. by two fifty, three hundred. Okay, might be but that's all for subjective. The mold again, of the player. again, look at this year. He wasn't worth two hundred. What he was doing this year, because he didn't have any impact on any game. He didn't come off the back fence. He doesn't intimidate anyone. And, you know, you can cut it any way you want. The want wasn't there this year. And I'll give some credence to the fact people are like, oh, well, he broke his draw. Oh, I know he broke his draw a couple of Twice, times. Yeah. All that stuff attributes to the way you play. I'm more saying, even prior to that point, his game consistently on what I saw from a week-to-week basis, I still would have taken a lot of other props before You'd take I took Jared him. over Campbell Gillard. I'd take Jared. I'd take well, plenty of guys. But I'd even what Bromwich, I'm saying, even at the soft, peak of his powers, I would I'd take, take I'd take Jared. I could keep going. I'd take Payne Haas. Like mm. I'm saying, if that's the scale we're going off and we're going to go off rep football and then pay grade so Yeah, but best again, you're, you're now comparing salaries across clubs. I'm just comparing like the top tier props and I'm saying that in my opinion, he's not even in the top five props. Mm. If you're going to get $900,000 and even yeah. last year... But I, if he's the only prop you've got... Yeah. But You'd I probably just, get a little bit more wedge. Originally, right? I thought That's all. it was a bad deal for Penrith. Then and I agree with you. When a new coach comes in, as we've seen before, similar to what Madge's did on from Ivan on the flip side, you get to some points and you make some decisions and go, I'm not willing to push forward with this. I think the real killer was the length of the deal. It was a six-year contract. Mm. He's only just finished the first year. Like For Parramatta, that's more what I'm looking at. Yes, you've got it on a lower rate. If he plays up to standard, I think 600 is value. So for Parramatta's sake, I hope it does work out. And for his sake, I hope he plays well. Like I said, nothing here is personal. I'm just more going off his, his play. But five years, 600000 I hope for Parramatta that he gets back to some of his best form because mm. I still think that's that's a big risk. They've clearly got the space. Would I rather him than Tim Manor? Yes, but at the right price. So that's probably more the point I'm trying to make here. And for Penrith, the turnover continues to happen under Ivan Cleary. They confirmed for the back end of this year. We already knew about Grant and a couple other guys that were moving on, but a lot of lower-tier guys, again, that were more under the Gus tenure on the former board, Payapua, Nick Luitoso, guys that he'd given one-year or two-year contracts to, they've wiped 10 more guys out. So along with Coruscant coming in, I'm sure they'll upgrade probably Sean Bloor, the former under-18s Australian and New South Wales captain. Uh, you've got Charlie Staines, who just won Jersey Flag Player of the Year, He's another fullback. I haven't seen a lot of him. Is he a ball player like we'd said they needed? I don't know. Matt Burton wasn't part of that top squad. He was a development deal. I'm sure he'll get pushed up now. So it'll be interesting to see in the off-season if Penrith just go on an upgrading spree of some of these young guys, I'm sure there'll be four or five, but they also have guys they need to buy now. Mm. So I don't know what they're going to do quite to fill those holes, but there's a bit of movement there to happen. Tackle four, Gallon, 348 games, uh, it's over. He played, I, can't, I don't have all the stats written down here like we always do, but I'm pretty sure he played all close to 20 origins. He was an absolute weapon in that arena for us during a rough period of time. Test matches, one World Cups. He got that series win finally in 2014, if I recall correctly. Is that the one we finally won it? Yeah. Um, hell of a career. Absolute stalwart for the Sharks. Changed a lot over his career. Was much, like, still much maligned by a lot of people now, but was you know suspension problems and other bits and pieces early on. But, man, he's been a hell of a player. Yeah. And they brought it up the other night. His career in metres or something averaged out to be 155 metres per game. That's incredible. Um, yeah, he's a freak. Absolute freak. 
heartbeat of that club, took less multiple times, hung around. Like I said, he's not everyone's cup of tea, but you got hasn't to take... he hasn't he pedaled that line, but over the last oh, he few loves pedaling it. He's made it back on boxing and media and a thousand other yeah. things. I'm pretty sure, but. Yeah. I must say, it is good when you see someone who's a one-club player stick around for the long haul. Yeah, well, they're rare now. Look, he's going to be remembered forever because he's the, he's the first captain to ever captain. win. Yep. And he was also, again, At the Sharkies. part of the uh, origin set up there when we struggled for a long, long time and finally broke the duck with our man, Laurie, Laurie mm. Daly. So mm. what a career. But, good on your loss. Uh, not exactly a great finish, unfortunately. The Sharks no, but got themselves in there and got absolutely steamrolled at Brookvale. So He's had his ups and his downs. Yeah. Hell of a career from Paul Gale. Managed to go on for the last 10 minutes and shark a few runs. Yeah, good time. So. Made a career out of shark and some pit-offs, hasn't he? Yeah. Oh, yes. Tackle five, Jared Rhea Hargraves suspended. Uh, this one's frustrated a lot of people, maligned a lot of people, and then other people cried poor because of what happened with Sam the other week. And I'm obviously a fan of Jared, and people would probably expect a bit of bias coming out here, but I say the same thing for Jared that I said for Sam. Does it warrant a suspension, realistically, like the hair pull? No, it doesn't. But when you keep visiting the judiciary, you keep putting yourself in that situation, eventually it's going to come bite you on the ass. So mm. I can't defend it. Do I agree with it? No. And I don't, didn't agree with the hair pull. But the whole problem is if you're going to go to the judiciary three, four, five times a year and burn up your country conducts and get fined and have other suspensions and have loading, it's going to come get you. And it's got him at the wrong time, just like it got Sam at the wrong time. The difference the is interesting part in this. I think the Roosters can cover for his loss, whereas I didn't think South could because they've got Liu, they've got Tokiaho, they've got Tedavano, they've got a lot of other guys that can play there. You've got Radley who plays as a middle, their spine's back intact, they've yeah, got one of the best back fives. Hits the skids when he's out. I know. The interesting part for this of this, I think last night they had to prove that well the judiciary had to prove that it was reckless. Reckless. Not careless. I thought it was no, so to, so to charge him last night and to have a conviction, they needed to prove, the judiciary needed to prove that it wasn't careless, it was reckless. I didn't think it was reckless. No, neither did I. I thought he planted his feet so and spread his base too was it wide a trip? and rocked away. Yes. He had his leg out, but, but I don't think he would. was it an accident or was there intent? No. They, they proved that there was intent. But I would, I would think for the unbiased eye, who knows rugby league and has, has followed the game for a little while? I thought he just would think that it was an accident. Oh. Wide based himself and had it there, and he kind of stuck his leg out like it was dumb, and it was more reaction than anything. Mm. But it was far from reckless. It was just dumb. But like Sam, it's caught up with him. Yeah, it's caught up. With him. And speaking the of the fact Sam, of the matter is, is that when you go there, yeah, it's the luck of the lines. Yeah, and Sam's got in trouble obviously today because he came out yesterday and said basically the judiciary is like kangaroo court, so. He's right. Greenberg's issued a please explain and a bit of a breach notice, so he might be getting fined if he doesn't explain himself. But basically, he's called into question. Yeah, how, what does he want him to explain? Oh, it's pretty obvious what he's coming. Everyone there. in the Everyone game knows. can see that yeah. the judiciary system is broken. Well, like we Todd. said, he knocked a bloke out. So the is he not allowed to say it yeah. publicly? He KO'd a bloke the other week and he couldn't get suspended, but he got well, done for the Is trip. he going to send a please explain to Paul Kent and all the guys on 360 that smash the judiciary every time there's a cock-up? Yeah. And rightfully so. All the guys on Channel 9, all the newspaper journalists, are we going to get a please explain for saying that it's a joke? Because it is a joke. Anyway, move on. Sam, and you know what? We want more personality in the game. We want the players to say more. And then when they do, yeah. we, get, we give them a please explain. Like, what, what way do you want it? This is how you get your broadcast deal. This is how you get sponsors. This is how you get media attention, exposure, pages in the paper. So any publicity is good publicity, Todd. Yeah, I agree. Last tackle, and uh, we saved this one the last one on purpose, but obviously Storm Raiders on the weekend, crack a game. Raiders prevailed in that one, but... We had 
no lack of drama in this one. First, you've got BJ Lua copping a bit of the shell fireworks in his eyes, and then we've had a couple of muffed calls in the game, and then the big controversy coming after about the abuse of the touch judge and the referee. And yeah, it was a fair bit to come out of this game, to say the least. There was, yeah. First and foremost, anyone that thinks it was a conspiracy or it was Melbourne's fault for the fireworks, pull your head out of your ass. Who said that? Ah, oh, there's some dumb people, but. The finals are all held and run by the NRL. Yeah, so it's not even yeah. it's Melbourne's home ground that Melbourne don't organise anything. It's not even their venue. So that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, first and foremost. Uh, that whole thing was absolutely nuts. People have argued about the interchange thing and the fact that they should have been given the free interchange afterwards. And then, again, people in the media have freaked out and said, well, now people will be faking injuries when they run out of the field. No, no, They're trying. That, that's well overkill. Given the circumstance and what happened, I have no problem with them getting a free interchange. Obviously, in the end, they didn't. They said that it was a free interchange to start the game without him, but when they put him back on, it cost them one. You know, was it the biggest issue in the world? I, I would have thought they should have treated it like HIA, as long as well, the person who went on, uh, sorry, yeah, went on comes off. Yeah. You don't charge no them. Harm Especially when they're an outside back. Like, if it's a front row, you sort of go, okay, look, yeah. you're going to get some value out of that. But an outside back. Yeah, I know. So, I. You're not. You don't really. I also want to be changing that. Like, I'm not saying it's right. Well, I don't know. People, people again weren't happy. They should have got on. They shouldn't have got on. I think you should have been able to, like you said, roll that one for free because it's a freak accident before the game. As far as the referee decisions are concerned, I'm a Melbourne fan. Everybody that listens to this knows this. Melbourne didn't deserve to win the game. The disappointment for me, and I sent this to you at the time, was not about the result. It's the fact that the bunker or whatever fucking reason we brought in for and spent all this money had a chance to intervene, in particular on the last play, which doesn't mean, again, that Melbourne win the game. But we were denied an opportunity, and as a fan watching the game, if you're an outsider, people probably weren't frustrated because they all hate Melbourne and they all no. bound together about it. But I want to see that last 90 seconds unfold just as a football lover. Put no, me in my neutral perspective. I wanted to see I am a neutral, Melbourne right? scramble, and, and I wanted to see that play out the way it I did. didn't care who won, I'd, but... The thing for me is that the bunker has intervened at times when there's been clear vision vision and where there's been time. Now, they got to see at least four or five clear clips of vision here that showed that the hand didn't hit the touchline. They were then packing a scrum. The bunker could have easily just intervened and said, no, his hand didn't go out, go back to the play the ball, get the call right. And we've seen that on multiple occasions this year, particularly in the in goal and particularly at scrums when we're talking about one-on-one strips or knock-ons or things like that where kicks are charged down, where passes are knocked down, where it's just as simple as, you know, change who gets the feed, go to the 20-metre line for a um, a seven-tackle set or go to the goal line for a line dropout. So, you know, I understand that they don't want to get to the point where they're jumping in on everything because when they're jumping in on everything we just become the NFL. But in this case, it was clear they had time uh, and it was at a critical time in a semi-final. It's a finals game. And it was clear that it was a it was a wrong call. Yeah. If it was subjective, leave it. No big deal. If yeah. there's not enough time and they've packed the scrum and they've gone and it's all happened quickly, I get it because mm. you don't have enough time to look at it. For me, it was a time from when the incident happened to the scrum being packed and play resuming that they could have got it right. Yeah, I also... And then, and this is where I argue with you, or not argue with you, but I made the point, what if his hand did go out 
and they played on a Melbourne score, yeah. and then on replay they find out that his hand did right, go. They wouldn't go back to nah. that and reverse the decision. So the same thing. You it's at, hard at the time, when though, the scrum. In this situation, Mm. in that one situation, it made sense for the bunker to come in. It Mm. did. I just think it's dangerous then when you start to play with technology. When do we come in? When do we come out? Black, white, grey. I would just like us to get to a point in time where we say the bunker is for tries only and then just for any howler that we can prevent. And that's more what I was getting. Any howler we can I prevent, they can jump in. I what you said, but they had plenty of time to correct it. And, again, yeah. I don't blame them for us Melbourne losing. Melbourne lost fair and square. But no, it's like it for me, I've... I would have been more frustrated at Josh Arakar's error. You're just defending the line 100%. for three sets in a row. He spills the ball, they score. That's not the only one. I was no. frustrated with the attack. I was frustrated yeah. with the whole flow of the game. Yeah. So that's there, but point. there were a few calls in this game that went against Melbourne. The sin bidding with Croker. I was bothered the during The whitehead tackle without the ball. Uh, the one where there was a strip where the, the pocket, pocket ref, ref called screamed it. at him and he ignored him. But and again, this one. Yeah. I'm not going to attribute all those to him, but it's frustrating Melbourne to watch it. But that last one really irked me because more what you said. We spent all this fucking money on the bunker. You've got time to intervene and we brought it in for the howl. Nothing says they win the game. I'm not saying that at all. But, man, for the cracker game it was and the tight tussle, that would have just been the ultimate finish. Mm. Melbourne get the ball, 30 out. Raiders are scrambling after. They've just scored off that freak error. Like you've had- There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. BJ, like, like, there was so much drama and just moments in this game that that would have been to me the ultimate finish yeah. and if Melbourne don't win I cop down the chin same as I am right now but I'm more frustrated that like you said they had so much time to correct it and like what is the bunker for I really don't know anymore yeah like we flog it every time there's a try we check everything and we intervene on random moments like dropouts or see a touch or things on the screen and they're a person but in that moment in a finals game nothing mm. um, and the ref abuse like we've said this a million times before human error is there the touch judge got it wrong, yeah, but like some of the shit you see on social media, a bit no different to what we said the other week about some of the stuff that the players cop. Like, some people just got to fucking have a real hard look in the mirror, unfortunately. But it's easy to do it behind a keyboard and a fake profile or a Twitter thing where you've got letters, numbers, and a fake picture or whatever. So, you know, apparently the touch he's struggling, and I, I, I do feel bad for him, but uh, yeah, what do you do? The world's got a fair few creatures in it, unfortunately. So. Mm. You can't look too much into some of these comments, but, yeah, some people need to get a laugh. And we move on. The right team won, in my opinion, and I'm a Melbourne fan. I thought Canberra were much better than the Storm on the night. And the Storm have made it much harder for themselves now because Parramatta, the way they're playing and the style they play, to me, similar to Canberra, as some opportunity in it with offloads and second phase and moving the football around. So I think that's dangerous. And then they've got to play Melbourne if they're going to get to the grand final and then potentially play Canberra again. So I think Melbourne have basically set themselves on fire, in my opinion, as far as their chances to have any crack at winning this comp. But for the Raiders, I think their chances just went up tenfold. I think they're on the better side of the draw. If Seas get through, I don't think it's going to be easily against Manly this week. If Manly get through, I'm sure they'll put up a hell of an effort, but they're still going to be missing players. I think it's all on Canberra right now, pressure-wise, to win that prelim final in Canberra because I think they couldn't have ended up in a better spot. And then they're going to get, potentially, the Roosters and Melbourne if Melbourne win. 
hopefully tearing each other apart on the other side of the draw leading into the grand final. I like it. And again... So I think oh a lot yeah, of things, if you're a got... Canberra fan, have fallen in your favour this week off a year of consistency and hard work and things building nicely. And obviously, I threw the challenge out earlier that they weren't knocking off these better sides, but they've done it when it mattered. They got Melbourne a couple of weeks ago and they've got Melbourne in a game that really mattered. So all the numbers that I brought up throughout the year, all those wins worrying me, don't matter now because in the biggest moment, well, and I they said got that it right. I felt, I felt as though they could do it. And the main now one, they've got to deliver when they're the favourite, when yeah. they're at home, when and they're the under pressure. All so it's going to be a little bit different for them because they've gone down to Melbourne and been the hunter. Now, whoever comes in, South or Manly, are going to be the underdogs. Canberra are going to be the hunted. There are a few little signs there. Josh, um, Jared Croker, not Josh Croker. Jared Croker's goal kicking at some times there. Yeah, and it's been Missed awful. some critical goal kicks, which, you know, he's got to get corrected in the next two weeks. He hasn't kicked well this year. I think stop. they've really landed on now a, a nice side of the draw. But too often we, we see that the team that lands on the nice side of the draw, we see a team, you know, just grit their way through that. Uh, part of the draw. If you said to me now that Manly knocked off South and then upset Canberra, like they only upset Canberra what a month ago when we were in Melbourne, mm. uh, in Canberra, so they they could easily uh, cause an upset. Uh, if you if you said to me Manly are in the grand final, it wouldn't it would shock me. But you know I could I can see it happening if if South and and the Raiders are well below where they need to be. So. Yeah, it's thrown a spanner in the works now, hasn't it? I, I'm wrapped that we're not going to get a Roosters-Melbourne grand final. I know you are. I would have loved to have seen it again. Uh, rubbish. Last year's game was rubbish. Anyway. Because yeah, Melbourne didn't turn up. Yeah, it was rubbish. I don't want to see that two shit best again. Sides, so. no. Yeah, yeah, two best sides. Well, they're not because they're now on the same side of the draw. So, yep. there we go. There you go. There's our set of six. Very, very long one today. But like I said, there was plenty to talk about and a fair bit well, to cover. We've got less reviews. So. In depth, but heading into the reviews, and they'll be brought to you by the Penrith Solar Centre this week because we've got no more power rankings. So Good. Penrith Solar Centre, like I said, we're getting closer to that time of year, even though it's bloody pissing down rain the last couple of days out west, but it's about to get warmer. Get on board. Get your system. Get it ready. Save yourself some drama. Help your back pocket just like we have. But if you want to know what's worse than seeing your team cop the wooden spoon this season, it's getting slapped with a rising power bill that puts you more on edge than an origin decider. Penrith Solar Centre are Western Sydney's leading solar specialists who are helping local families take control of their electricity bills. Let the sun work for you, your home, and your back pocket. Contact them today on 1800-2029 to discuss how you can become a real winner this season. When it comes to your power bills, check out the website, www.penrithsolar.com.au. Jake and the boys and girls there run an absolute fantastic business, so much so that they won the Best Trades and Services Award in the Penrith District Local Awards Night. So good stuff, Penrith Solar Centre. Reviews of the games, like you said, Brock, a bit shorter now. They've only got four left. South Roosters. Um, I had a feeling about this one. I know you messaged me about the odds, saying you thought they were a bit short, but well, they they came in from a dollar fifty five to a dollar thirty three on game day. Well, it had all the feeling to me that they were going to lap them, and I honestly, again, people say they're waiting for the finals, or you can't just turn it on. I think the Roosters are different. I really think they can turn it on, and I think they showed that they turn it on. From the South perspective, I think they put every ounce into the week before. They looked flat. They looked busted. Missing Sam obviously hurt. But you've got Tom and George who were fresh back off injury. They both struggled. I think even Cam Murray looked like he was busted. or cr- He had next to no impact on this game at all. Bennett admitted as much, but at the time I was really confused with the back five reshuffle. I have no idea why you change Adam Dewey for a player like Alex Johnston who hasn't played for almost 12 to 14 weeks and has just got back. 
Dewey's been doing such a good job playing as a link player. He's physical on his kick returns, and he's been a real asset in that one position. So I don't know why second week back he'd throw Johnston into the fire pit like that, in particular against the physical side like the Roosters. Yeah. Roberts and Gagai, or not Gagai, sorry, Roberts and Campbell Graham switching edges didn't make sense to me. Campbell Graham played on that edge the week before, scored a try, did a pretty decent job. I don't know why he would have changed that, um, but he did. And just that whole reshuffle, like Dewey on the wing, like he had zero impact on the game on the wing, as he would have done at fullback. I thought they were just blown off the park. And I still look at it and think, well, they took a couple of players off due to injury, and I honestly think the second half they just took the piss. People are saying, oh, they lost the second half 6-4. I think they knew they were home and hosed. Well, That's they why they started and pulling South a couple of players. South didn't apply any scoreboard pressure at all. No, they did This was a disappointing game to start the finals. I, uh, I'll be honest, I started flicking to the ashes a little bit just because I, I just lost interest in this game. The Roosters were just far too good for South Sydney. And, again, getting on the front foot through their middles, getting all their players back on board, having Cordner, having Kiri, having the spine completely intact. And, as Robinson said, they left points on the park. Mm-hmm. Tedesco, of all people, dropped three times when they tried to do that switch play. When they pulled numbers and they come back to the open, he left the ball behind almost every single time. He could have scored a couple. Joey Manu... Uh, similar to last year, coming to life during the final series. During the year, he had some good games, but he didn't get as much football, obviously, going to the trail. The trail's been very, very quiet the last month or so, but as we've said, on a more consistent basis, Joey Martin is probably a better player. Yeah. Or it's not probably a better player. On a more consistent basis, he is a better player. He's a freak. Physically, he can beat you one-on-one. He draws the winger in. We've seen he stretch Armstrongs. He's got footwork. He's powerful. He's got an offload. There's nothing he can't do. But they're that side, like I talk about, when they're full strength, they can literally beat you from anywhere. Cooper Cronk steers things. They've got two good kickers. Kiri's just growing and getting better. Tedesco, Verrills has done more than an adequate job at nine. Put all the forwards back on the park. The fact that you can roll Tedovano uh, and Liu onto the field and Radley at lock and have Jared Riahago, CSR, Tokiaho, and the guys that aren't playing for him, for Christ's sake. Crichton getting into better form. Orbison is a utility player, like, it's taken the piss, and I know we've said it like they were the easy choice to win the comp, but for a good reason. And I think the scarier part, and I said this during the year, through all the injuries and adversity and origin period, their top 30 got better because yeah. all those guys didn't just get samples of game time. They got bulk game time. And as Robinson spoke to, similar to Melbourne, when you've got good culture, a good playing group, and a good core group, and you train them together and give them the opportunities, steel sharp and steel. So their bottom end of their squad is better purely for the fact they play and train with these guys day in, day out. I think they do a better job of development with those guys they get in for that reason. And like your Nat Butchers, your Satili Tupanua, like they've all done more than an adequate job when being called upon. To me, this is still the team to beat. They did have some concerns, obviously. Uh, do they bring Friend back? They had Tupac go off with the groin strain cord and went off on the bite. There was a few little bits and pieces. But you win this game, you get extra time. So they've now put themselves in a position, whether it's Power or the Storm, to get healthy for the two weeks. Jared's obviously going to be missing. That's a big blow. But I spoke on all those names just then. I think they can cover for it. Um, there's not a, much else to say other than no, South were embarrassed in they this were. game. They really were, and it could have been so much worse. I think the big question for South is can they rally this week? Because They're going to have to. You put Sam back in or not. To me, last week, there was just some alarming signs physically. I thought they looked flat, a bit busted. I don't know whether Murray's like injured or just tired or crook or whatever it was, but he looked a shadow of himself last week. Um, we're going to look at the lineups when we talk about the game, but if they're not on, Manly will beat them. 
Manly showed it last week, and they get tap out least back this week. Fanua Blake was huge. You've still got Cherry Evans. You've still got Jake. And that back line's no joke. At the start of the year, a lot of people said, is this the worst back five you've ever seen? Moses Suley is one of the better centers in the competition this year, the way he's played. Garrick's more than adequate on his thing. Brendan Elliott, again, people are giving a lot of shit to because he's been to a lot of clubs. His junior pedigree, he's an Australian schoolboy, Queensland 20s player. The junior pedigree doesn't lie. He's clearly a good player. He's been in some bad clubs after he got pushed out of the Roosters, which I'm sure if he stayed at the Roosters, he would have flourished under Trent Robinson. Yeah. Like a lot of players that leave there, you've got to leave sometimes to get an opportunity to play. Two of the clubs you landed at, the Titans, Newcastle, Wooden Spooners. That doesn't help you. Now he's with a good coach in a good situation. Look at the way he's playing. But the junior pedigree speaks to more of what the player should be. Um, yeah, I honestly think Souths are going to get more than they bargain for this week if they don't turn up. So let's hope they're ready to rock and roll. Second one, uh, that game we spoke of, Storm versus the Raiders. I thought it was a good game. Uh, obviously, plenty of the drama and the controversy. Having Leilua with the issue of the eye before the game and Simpson have to go on, I think they lose absolutely nothing there. I also had someone message me during the week saying, like, you guys poo-pooed down, carrying the outside back on the bench, but I think that's the way going forward. Look what they did with Simmonson, etc. Providing that that player can play other positions. And that's the whole point. It's not saying you don't have an outside yeah. back on the bench. The argument previous is they've had a, when you've got a guy like when Penrith had Hardacre, he's a fullback. A fullback's not going to go into mm. the field and play other positions. Bailey Simonson's a big physical body who can play fullback center wing, and I'm sure if they needed to, they'd probably play him at bloody 13 or in the middle because he's a big body. The ideal player is not saying it's not an outside back where basically... The point was you don't put purely a winger or purely a fullback on your bench. The ideal player is your Kurt Capewell type that we talked about. He can play back row, centre wing. That kind of shape that's mobile enough to fill in those three positions. And if they need him to, he can play third out. But it's more saying, it's not that you don't carry an outside back, but if he's going to be an OB, he better have, like you're saying, the versatility to play, say, a six, a centre, a winger, a fullback at a pinch. You can't just be, oh, we've got a winger on the bench. Oh, we've got a fullback on the bench. That's just, it's brain dead. Like Matt Dufty playing for the Dragons. What fucking sense is there to have a fullback on the bench? Tell me the point of that. You reshuffle your whole spine to force him on the field or you put him on with five minutes to go when the game's gone and go, we need him to score a yeah, try. We've, like, we've been over it. No, I'm just saying, like, it's, it's the argument for just a pure outside back. Like, we just, I said it. Depends on the situation. They need, they need to be able to play multiple positions. For Canberra in this one, uh, I think they did a real good job just kind of stuttering Melbourne. They well, pressure they pass well. the ball and they niggle and get into them. Mm. They got and make them uncomfortable. They play them at their own game very well, and they've got the players there to do it. They're a little bit faster. They're able to avoid a lot of two and three on one tackles, which means that they can generate some ruck speed. And when they've got ruck speed, generally you're able to break teams down. Yeah, I think they did a pretty good job as well on the back five and the kick return. Like, Sully tried hard. I think uh, Addo Carr was very well contained. I think Pappenhausen as well. They were very physical with him. They bombed him early. They got stuck into him at any opportunity they could. I thought the halves were pretty ordinary. In particular, Cameron Munster hasn't really played well since we kind of went and watched him play against the Titans, I think. I don't think he played well that day. He's not willing to get dirty at this point in time. He's a very, very pre-line. He's playing sideways. Like, the Munster we all know and love is the one that digs in the line, runs the football Fending blokes, getting a bit niggly and frustrating people. And at the moment, to me, he's playing in a dinner suit, and that needs to change. The calls after one week that Brody Croft comes back in instead of Jerome Hughes, like we weren't playing any better when Brody Croft was there. No. And the big thing we've talked about on this show, and people at main media aren't talking about, he has more try causes in the competition than anyone, which is the whole reason that Melbourne have reshuffled their side. It's not as simple as Brody Croft went out. Brody Croft went out, Hughes came in. They changed Chambers back to that other side of the field to strengthen that edge defensively, and Olam has formed a combination now without a car. 
So it's not that simple that you just bring one player back and everything changes. The other argument is his kicking game is better. It may be a little bit better. His long kicking game still wasn't that great. His short kicking game was okay. And Munster and Smith did a majority of the long kicking when he was there anyway. Croft had plenty of chances to cement his spot. He played 20-something games or whatever it was, and I honestly don't see a whole lot of difference. Things short. I'm surprised it took that long to get rid of him. And, yeah, Hughes isn't a genuine half, but this is what we said last year. The only team that could probably do this and get to the point they're at is the Melbourne Storm. Will it cost them an opportunity to win the title? You could say it cost them last year, but I think they're at the point now where they know what Brodie Croft is and they clearly don't think he's their halfback. Mm. Whether it's Jerome Hughes or not, I think the news leaked yesterday, what I talked to you about, which I was excited, they were apparently very, very happy with a halfback that they found six or 12 months ago out Bathurst Way, which I was asking you. That's that's where that Western Rams area is for Penrith, isn't it? Yeah. So clearly they've snuck under their guard, but they've been flying this kid down already. He's only 15, 16 years old. No, they would have snuck under the guard. They, you have to pay. Um, they would have had to pay the fee, development fee, five grand. Oh, I don't know. And how, would have happened, they've already got in contract, is what I'm that. saying, and they're flying him down there. So, uh, however, this has worked out, they've clearly got big reps yeah, on him. In, moving in essence, it would have cost Melbourne five grand, which is nothing if you get a first grader. Well, if they think he's a first grader and Penrith don't, or they missed him altogether, I don't know. That's but, yeah, bad luck. They've got this kid. They've apparently been flying him down there, working with him. So they think they've got the future. The problem is. If he's only 16 now, he's still a couple of years away from playing first. Three or four off, yeah. So for the window of Smith and these kind of players, if they're going to win another competition, they need a halfback. Mm. Even if it's somebody makeshift or someone they can work with, I don't know who it is. But I think right now, if you're asking me moving forward, Pappenhausen's definitely booked himself as the one. Munster's your six. I love Jerome Hughes. I really do. But two doesn't go into one at fullback. I thought he was excellent at the start of the year. Clearly, they think Pappenhausen does a better job for him there. Do they work with him again next year and have an off-season and think Hughes can play better at seven? He probably can play better at seven after a whole off-season. They'll make that decision. But otherwise, they need to make a call at some point, I think, for someone on the market or find somebody. I don't know. But that's the real outlying part right now of their team. They've got the forward pack. They've got a good back five. Losing Welch definitely hurt the bench. I think the bench could be a little bit better. But the one thing right now, and the question, same as it was last year, is do they have a halfback to win the competition? Probably not. We don't know. Um, bar the few missed calls in this game, I still thought Canberra were the better team. Bateman, absolutely outstanding. Uh, Josh Papali, as he's been all year, risky move by Ricky Stewart to play him off the bench, but clearly thought they could hold their own in the middle to start off with and then make an impact with him afterwards. Simonson, as he's done all year, uh, he's gone from strength to strength. He was absolutely outstanding in his stint playing off the bench uh, until Leilua got back on. He did a really great job. And, Aiden Caesar defensively in his old attitudes turned around, and that was my big question mark. Could he deliver or could he be a, a competition-winning halfback? I'm still not completely sold, but the way he's playing in conjunction with the rest of that spine and the forward pack, they're in a very good position. They really, really are. And the bench, under eight. Like Corey Horsberg's done an outstanding job. They get great value out of him. They obviously get great value uh, out of C.S. Oliola when he's on the bench or Louis as well. They just all do their job. But I think, like you said, the real big thing here, and similar to what Parramatta do, they change the point of attack. They've got second phase. And the defensive side of the ball, which was the big issue, is now their biggest strength. Yeah. And if you're going to beat your Melbournes and your Roosters, these kind of teams, you've got to be strong on that side of the ball. So full credit to Canberra. They were outstanding on the weekend. Manly Sharks. Uh, what happened to the Sharks? Well, I said this last week. This was going to be the game where we got on the podcast this week and said... You know, Manly have won four out of what was it, forty games or something? At, yeah, at, five of thirty-nine. Sorry, or something. Sharks have won whatever the stat is, five out of thirty-nine games at um, 
Brookvale and we're going to sit here and say we should have had all our money on Manly because I win and everyone's tipping the Sharks and sure enough, what happened? That happened. Did I bet on Manly? No. Did I tip Manly? No. But everything pointed to Cronulla if you looked at stats, form, list. But if you look at history, uh, it just... And probably the history in terms of consistency of performance this year probably should have backed Manly, shouldn't we? Up and down like a fiddler's elbow. 42. Cronulla, yeah. 42 missed tackles, 15 ineffective, 13 errors. They were disgusting. Terrible. And Sean Johnson, I've said it before, have they made the right decision for their future moving forward and letting Flanagan go? No. I don't think they have. They've stuffed that up. And I think the more awkward part coming into this offseason with the rookie coaches, he's had to deal with a lot of egos this year. They've got some decisions to make. Paul Gallen's moved on. His contract basically equates to the salary cap fine they've had. And they've just got Jesse Ramian back in, who had issues at Newcastle, locked in. But they're not clear yet to put him on the books because they've got to move somebody on. Mm. You've got Josh Dugan and they had problems with. They had problems with Josh Morris not being happy about playing on the wing. He doesn't want to move after his year. There was rumours about him going to the Dragons. Uh, you've had Fafita have still have kind of an up-and-down year. He's got a little bit to deal with there. And Sean Johnson didn't play anywhere near to his contract. So I think sure th- didn't. things are a little bit awkward here. They've got a really good young crop, but this could get ugly if things don't pan out the way they want with a couple of these players or names and how things go moving yeah, forward. But the scoreline flattered Cronulla. Oh, it did. And for Manly side of things, like just wow, absolutely outstanding. I think Cherry Evans had an absolute cracker of a game again, leading from the front. Fanua Blake, though. Fanua Blake was the one that was absolutely Best player outstanding. Best on the field, yeah. Seven tackle breaks, a couple of the offloads, the way he got forward. Kepi, in only his second game, was outstanding. And Fainu, I think very good. The back row, as we spoke about all year, Corey Waddell was an absolute steal from Penrith. And Gazuski, as a lot of guys do, sometimes they take a couple of years to mature. His last... 12 to 18 months at Manly after having a couple of years there at South. It's taken a bit longer to physically probably develop into a first grader, but he suits them down to a tee. He's a goer. He's rough. He's got a bit of grub in his game. He's very, very, you know, just aggressive. Like, he just fits what Manly is. And I think Hasler, getting all the raps like we spoke about, and deservedly so, has got the most out of his 30, like we keep speaking about. Your Elliot's, your Sully's, all these guys have done an absolutely outstanding job this year, and they just absolutely ran roughshod him. At Brookvale. So, moving to this week, with Tapau back in, that back line, the halves, etc., and if they can do enough to get on the front foot and keep their bench to a limited role, kind of like they did on the weekend, I think they're every chance. They really are. Especially if South turn up like they did last week. Mm-hmm. But they'll challenge them regardless in the middle with their starting pack, and they'll challenge them on the edges. So, South better have their game on this weekend, because otherwise, they'll be like the Sharkies and heading home, but... Yeah, interesting off-season ahead for the Sharks, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Brayley moving on, those couple of guys, and there's some moves to be made. It's going to show long-term whether they made the right decision, but right now, looking at what we saw, and I know you said it as well, that Townsend didn't play as well the back end of the year, I think that's a direct effect of Sean Johnson. The seven or eight weeks that he got the Man of Match awards to me and was killing it was when he played with Flanagan. They controlled a side each. They kicked well. They worked in conjunction. To me, Sean Johnson just runs rogue, and some of the kicks he puts in and where he pops up, like... He seems like a bloke that's hard to play with, in all honesty, the more you get to see. So, yeah. And the last game, it was Broncos. This one doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. 58 fucking nil. Parramatta, excellent. Kicked well, tackled well. I thought just bombarded Brisbane they through the smashed middle. smashed them. Absolutely smashed them. Second phase, the way Sorry. they changed the point of attack, people in the media are like, oh, the beautiful long putt. Like, the whole point of those long passes, if you get second phase and you make inroads like they were with their forward pack, obviously you draw more players in the ruck. 
there's space on the edges. I think more importantly, they didn't talk about, and this is something that like you obviously like to do a little bit with the juniors. I try and teach about the combination of short to long or long to short, just to create a bit of deception when you pull edges apart. Mm. You get players trying to bite in when you play long, and then you change the shape and play short to long or long to short. Just the variety of chain passes they got off getting quick play of the balls or rucks or drawing players in, they torched them everywhere. Yeah, they couldn't stop them in the middle. They pulled them apart on both sides of the edges. And you look at a team like Parramatta, you know, Brad Arthur copped a lot of shit last year. He's turned it around. And I know we've said this before, Des Hasler obviously is on that everyone's saying get coach of the year. Like, Parramatta have had an even bigger turnaround in my opinion. And I think Des Hasler had a lot more to work with coming into his job. But, you know, Paulo, it's been a great buy for them. He wasn't great for Canberra, but he's worked out really, really good for Parra. A couple of four offloads in the weekend. And I think the one that we've completely forgotten about because all the talk was at the start of you about his contract, Dylan Brown. Like Moses was excellent, but Dylan Brown's 18. Mm. And he's just class. Like You don't use that word very often. It's very subtle stuff at the times, but he is a quality player. Yeah, he is. Looking at them moving forward, him, Moses, Mahoney, like you're talking 18, 24, 22. Like that's a young, good spine that you've built. Gutherson's still not very old either. He's 25, 26, and he's playing outstanding. That forward pack, the back five now having Sevo and Ferguson to set start, along with Jennings, who's playing a lot better this year and needed to, and Wanga Blake, who looks much better or playing the better version of himself at Parramatta. Mm. Their situation moving forward, plus cap room with some of the players they're getting rid of, is looking very promising. If they can get a Madison, if that situation pans out, or get a couple more forwards into that rotation with the pack they've currently got, they're in a great position. Yeah. So for Parramatta fans, you'd be absolutely stoked. For Brisbane fans, I think we've already gone through all the drama there, but about the only person I thought played well, as he always does, is Haas. But no one cracked 100 metres. He was the only one who kind of made any inroads and got a couple offloads. Even for Fida looked frustrated on the weekend. Parramatta were just physical. And I think the most impressive part of this is they did it for the whole 80. They could have shut off with the points flow. They just kept sticking the knife in right until the end. Yeah. They loved it. So, it was ugly for Brisbane. I think they're a real threat heading to Melbourne this weekend. I genuinely believe that. I'm not just saying speak out I don't know. Us. I don't know whether they are or not. I we're generally gonna, we're gonna think find out. they can give Melbourne some drama, but there you go. There's the reviews of the games from the weekend. Moving into our tips and our bets for the weekend. Brock brought to you by the Pro Sports Union. Get on board with the lads there. As we said before, NFL season started now and the college football, if you're into that stuff like we are, that was their top-rating package the last two years. The NFL insider and the college guy, check that out. Look at any best bets and promos they've got to put up. The NRL stuff is obviously only a couple of weeks left, so keep your eyes out for any bets or lines they might have on that side of things as well. And uh, I think coming into Spring Carnival, Brock, they do a bit of horse stuff as well. So if you're a horse punter, you can check out the website there. Mm. Uh, cricket, Matty Barker, like we said the other week, one of the founders, absolute killer on the cricket. I look at some of his bets on Twitter and I'm absolutely dumbfounded how he comes up with them, but he wins. Mm. So they've got a package for everyone out there if you're into punting with the Pro Sports Syndicate. Bets last week, uh, I wrote them down, but I've lost them, but now I've found them. What do you have? You had the Eels and Cronulla, so that one went down, unfortunately, because of the Sharks. And you had Storm and Roosters minus three and a half, so the Storm let you down. Both of mine went down because I had the same one, Eels-Cronulla, and I had Storm under 12, which they burnt. So no go for either side of it. I'm going to start posting some during the the week, though. From the tips uh, from last week, though, we all got two. So 119 for you, 118 for me, and 116 for Gossip. Haven't got his tips just yet, but I'll have to get them. During the week, but only two games for us this week, Boxhead. So looking at that first one, you got South and Manly Friday night. I need to find the bloody team list here. That would be very, very handy because I've completely forgotten about it. But in this one, 
thoughts? How do you think the game's going to go and why? I expect Souths to bounce back. Uh, having Burgess return is going to be a big in. Gagai will come back. They'll be a little bit rattled from last week. But I don't think it's the opposition you really want to be running into, particularly with the weather we've had in Sydney this week. Turn into a it's going to narrow the field. They're going to wrestle. They're going to slow the game down. They're going to uh, f- frustrate them and They're them. really going to make South play through the middle of them. So I think it's going to be one of those days where South is just going to have to grit their teeth, generate some speed for Cook, and probably win with one to two pass footy and, and a good kicking game. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Adam Reynolds' is, is goal-kicking penalty goals they'll have take an impact on this. They will. 30. Anything yep. sort of inside 30 or 40, they'll kick. And I just think it's going to be one of those games where South are going to have to bite down and just tough out for 80 minutes. And I haven't seen a lot of that, particularly recently. Maybe early in the year we saw a little bit of that from South. But I know exactly what Manly are going to do. They're not going to beat themselves. They're going to turn up. They're going to grind. They're going to graft. They're going to make it very, very difficult. Um, They're probably, again, they're going to play power footy and then they'll rely on Cherry Evans uh, and those attacking centres <clears throat> to really try and, particularly Suley, to really try and do some damage um, to South Sydney potentially. So, And they get to power back, so that's a big in for them. Oh, the one for me, I think the Manly Nines can have a big impact on this game. If they start to win the middle of the field and Coruscant and Fainu can get out and cause some issues, particularly with how we think the weather's going to be, uh, again, that's going to play an impact. But probably the two for me would be kicking game and obviously the middle. Yeah, well, look I'm at those changes. I'm not anything that they probably didn't already know. No, the changes you spoke about, he's put Adam Dewey back to fullback. No surprise there. Johnson's back on the wing. Roberts and Gagai. So Gagai's back from his hamstring injury. Puts Campbell Graham back to the wing. That's probably their best back five if you have things all go back to. Halves are back intact. Tom Burgess was on the bench last week. Starts this week with Liam Knight in the front row. He's been outstanding. Sutton is back into the starting... Oh, sorry, he started last week. Sam Burgess, the one I mean, sorry, is back in the back row of Cam Murray. Mm-hmm. George is on the bench with Martin Nichols, Tavita Tatola, Ethan Lowe. Jaden Sewer is out. Corey Allen is out. So they've got a couple of changes on the Manly side of things. The only real change, like you said, is Tapia, but it's a massive inclusion for them this week. And their bench, they've kept Kepi, Lloyd Perrett, and Hamoli Olakatu almost scored on his first touch last week, but was called back for an obstruction. Uh, big boy. Very Whew. big boy. He was one of the players from that 20s grand final that we watched that had Farno and those couple of guys that beat a red-hot parasite that had Dylan Brown in it. But for their side of things, I probably agree with you that the wet weather really brings it in Manly's favour a bit more in this game, again, with the bench they've got. The big thing is more what I said before. If they get a good start and they get possession and they roll, they won't have to rely on that bench as much. They'll play Adam Fanua, Blake and Tapau probably for 60, 65 minutes if they can mm-hmm. and really reduce the minutes of those other guys, and that brings the nines into the game. If those nines get going, Cherry Evans gets on the front foot. He can control and kick and defensively on the edges. If South play that basic boring shitty shape that they did against the Roosters where it was all just playing that left-hand side off a set start, man, they just cut that off and jam. Mm-hmm. They need to do what they did to the Roosters the week before. Punch through the middle, get Cook playing out of nine, which brings Cody Walker onto the ball, which will bring Johnson all these guys. And if they can pull them apart there, then you can play to the edges. If they're just going to go set stuff, playing off points, trying to play nice and slow, and they can't get any momentum in the wet, and they play to the edges, I think Manly will honestly have a real good chance of winning this game. Mm-hmm. Massive chance of winning this game. But I'm with you. I'm going to go south. Uh, but I get how we gave them no chance last week, but in this one, it really wouldn't surprise me. I'm just more going to go the fact that, like you said, probably in those positions and having everyone back on deck here, 
and that bench, if they put enough pressure on those front rows and absorb what Manly can do, I think they can have some love in that 10 to 15 minutes when they get Olic R2, Kepi, Parrot, etc. on the field and maybe pick on them a little bit. But yeah. time to be seen. You're on South as well. And the odds with the Pro Sports Syndicate, $1.46 for South, two seventy two for the Manly Seagulls. Good value there. Six is the start you get, so that's not too bad. One to twelve South, two ninety three ninety for Manly. Thirteen plus two seventy five for South, six seventy five for Manly. I I really do like those odds. I do. Two seventy and the six start. If that was six and a half, I'd probably take that as well. Mm. Uh, I think this is one of those ones. What's the bet? Under six and a half points, either team or whatever. Either team. Yeah. I think that would be a good one. And the I'll other one, unders. What do you reckon the unders would be? Well, they they won't put the unders up until the day of the game because you're not going to find it, my friend. At the moment, it's what's that? Yeah, they're brackets. They Bracket, don't put, they don't right. put the actual over under up until the day. Well, of the if game. it's pissing down rain and it's anything less for that reason, because a lot of pro yeah. punters used to just get on it early. In well, the what week, was Tedeschi's Royal Cup losing out him? He said in the rain, anything under thirty four and a half or whatever was almost no. He just said if it's raining, back the under. Unders, so keep your eyes on that one if you're a fan out there. Second game, obviously the Storm at home on Saturday against the Parramatta side. No changes for the Storm. Munster didn't exactly play that well last week. So hopefully has a better game this week. Hughes is still in the seven. Their extended bench has got Curtis Scott, Tino, Fassa, Malulawai, and they've got Eisenhuth and Croft. So last week they cut Croft in their first two cuts. So we knew straight away there was no speculation about him playing. Mm. Do they make any changes this week? I don't know. From Bell in his press conference, he didn't seem like he really wanted to be big on changes. It more seemed like he was disappointed that a few people didn't follow the plan. Instead, he would talk to him during the week and figure out why they didn't follow the plan. And if he wasn't happy with a few guys, there might be some small changes. But realistically, said, this is the team that won the minor premiership. Why would I change? Mm. It wasn't anything major. So I can agree with him there. Your perspective, would you put Croft back in or would you stick with Hughes? You know my opinion on Croft. I was stronger on it probably than what you were. I would have dropped him well earlier. Uh, I think it was proven last year that he wasn't the man for the job. I think he's had enough time to develop in a good system with good players around him. And that's not anything personal. I just, I'm just not too sure that he's really lived up to uh, the expectations and what they expect of him. To be fair, and they obviously think they can stick Hughes in there and he can do a job, a better job, probably defensively than what Croft can do. And then they can just manufacture the rest from an offensive perspective, and they have because they were the number one offense in the league. Mm. Uh, essentially without Croft as a running threat. And I don't think that Felice Cafusi gets any good ball when Croft's there. No. At least when Hughes is there, they can just go um, tip-tip and get the ball to Felice a little bit earlier. But his impact since Cooper Cronk's left has been absolutely nullified mm. from a Melbourne perspective. It's been Kenny Bromwich that's really gone through On the, the left edge. Yeah, yeah. They, they tend to go to him. And he's also... And use him as, the, as I guess, the, the lead runner and that yeah. threat. He's the threat edge. because of Munster, for one, and then at the same time, he's got the ability to pass and run himself. Mm. So people don't generally play on him as early because he has the ability to pass or set up. He's got a couple of tries this year. He's a fantastic edge back row. But I think more to your point, when they put Hughes in, we said before that generally you've got Croft who was either, I'm doing this, and that was it. He played way too pre-line, dropped Felice back under and treated him like he was a setup player. Like, you got a world-class back row there. At least with Hughes, you know Hughes is willing to dig into the line mm. and just play short. His first option is play short or run. It's the well, most his simple. first option is going to be to run. Yeah. Because his run allows him to get deeper in the line, allows him to dig, and then it's sort of that philosophy that, okay, if the run's not open... Look to your outside. Hit your back is the, row. Is it, yeah, it's either hit the back row or hit out the back. It's yeah. just it's fairly simple, simple for him. And again, like we're saying, if Croft can't 
I, I think the biggest the, the biggest thing and the best thing that Jerome Hughes can do and learn how to do in this next three weeks is how to play down short sides. Because a lot of the time, Melbourne are going to set up to their right and they're going to want to go back to the left with Bromwich and uh, Munster and Pappenhausen out the back of it. The best thing you can do is when they chop the field to 60-40 or 70-30 is have that ability because sides are then going to throw that extra defender around yeah, where they know Melbourne are going field. to go. So the best thing that Hughes can do is to have enable himself to come down that short side and play 3v2 or 4v3 in a short space and just understand the right pass to throw and just to ensure and make sides accountable and make sure that they have to number up on the short side and that's going to give them that advantage when they're trying to sweep to that side that they obviously like, which is their left-hand side. Mm. For and look, Parra, Parra just need to know who they are. Know who you are. The game that you played on the weekend is exactly what you need that to do. That is Parra. Play, don't go down there and try and beat Melbourne at their own game. It's yeah. not going to happen. Don't play one out in the middle. Don't try and have a big dick contest with your forwards no. and out-wrestle them. If you play one out in the middle, we've said this a million times, of course they're going to wrestle them. They get three and they'll slow it down. You'll have no momentum. Get offloads, change the point of attack, play with that good width. As soon as you get a chance to shift the ball, shift the ball and attack both those edges. Go and watch Power on the weekend. They did a lot of, you know, like you said, long to short, but they also did a lot of setting up to the middle of the field, Mm. throwing to one side and then coming back the other. They switched a lot. So if if you've got a replay there, go and watch a lot of the good ball stuff that Parra did. And I don't know whether it was a Brisbane thing, whether they thought they could catch him napping on that side, or it was just to try and allow the point of attack to change and just to, to pull the defensive line apart a little bit. And I, think, I don't think that's a bad thing to try against Melbourne. I think the no. more passes you can throw and the more you can try and pull them out of shape defensively, the better off you're going to be regardless of who you're playing. Yeah, you're, you're more susceptible if you pull Melbourne apart and get them on the back foot and scramble to get more it's penalties It's more about what you do on the, on the end of it because ideally if you're going to throw those, like, like you said before, like the philosophy around throwing long to short or short to long is that you're then going to be able to isolate someone. Yeah. That's, can, that's that's the whole idea of it. And if you isolate someone, you're obviously a bigger chance of creating a missed tackle and a line break or a quick play the ball. But also, it's just variety. Like, if you're pulling the middle apart constantly and you're playing on edge and you keep playing long, someone's going to... Well, as soon as you go long, long or short, short, someone's going to be able to land on the pass yeah. defensively. Changing those combos or not letting edges figure out what's going on with those combinations. Yeah. Once you've pulled the middle apart, you'll have centres, back rows, halves going, fuck, like, what's going on? The or, classic you know? one on the weekend was when... Um, What's the kid's name from Brisbane who just got absolutely murked by Jennings? They went, Brisbane went from a, uh, they went long to long. They hit Milford, didn't they? No, it was, no, they hit Milford and then Milford hit, what's the kid that was playing nine that was playing seven? Turpin. Turpin. He smoked Turpin. And Jennings just came in and just went kaboom. Because it was was long to long and they landed on the pass. Um, Whereas if that was short, Jennings comes in. And then you can sort of, okay, well, now I've, I've created a hole in the defensive line. Mm. Am I good enough to expose it with a kick or a pass or whatever it is? Uh, it, that was just a good one. So, if, again, if you want to go back and have a look at that, that's where we're talking about long to long, and that's why it's not effective because those guys with a lot of experience like Jennings who are on the edge that are taught those triggers that if you can land on a pass, go and land on it because, A, you're going to shut the play down and, B, you're a good chance of forcing Force an, an error. error. Yeah. I think there's a lot of positives here for Paramount. I think their set ends are better. I think they've got a better kicking game with Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown than what Melbourne do at this if, point in time. If they get good field position. Melbourne this year have had a bit more pressure on their kicking game because Smith and Munster generally do most of the long kicking. But inside 20, as far as force dropouts and set-ends, Melbourne have been deplorable, and it comes from the lack of a halfback. Like Pappenhausen was kicking sometimes last week for the long kicks. That, that's something that's got to be addressed. Mitchell Moses is the best part of his game this year, and the most tries off kicks is Parramatta. They mm-hmm. compete for the ball on the edges. 
They've got big outside backs. He's very, very good and tactical with his short kicking game, like you said, with the right field position. But I think all the ingredients are here. Good back five, good set starters, second phase. They've got the ability to play that football and get a bit loose and change the point of attack and move Melbourne around. They're very aggressive as a pack. I think they can get stuck into Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side for Melbourne, I think, again, they've just got to kind of weather that storm back and forth, try and wear them down a little bit and drag them into a shit fight. Um, For Parramatta, I think the biggest difference here is the conditions. It's not Parramatta Stadium, fast track, bank west, rampant crowd, four o'clock on a Sunday Arvo where it's hot and dry. This is going to be Melbourne on a Saturday night with the weather it is right now. It's probably going to be wet and slippery. So it's probably going to take away half of what we just talked about. Or if Parramatta do do it, they're going to have to be very, very effective and clinical in doing it yeah. if they're going to play. Because you're not going to be able to play. Like, like That's one of the fastest games I've seen on the weekend. I know it was a one-way traffic, but it was fast for the conditions. Made it fast. Like The ground, the weather, this time of year, like it was ideal for the way that Parramatta wanted to play. That won't fly if it's wet in Melbourne. We watched the other week on a Sunday Arvo and it wasn't even that wet. It was just a little bit dewy in the afternoon and they weren't exactly that slick or fast. So it's a completely different set of circumstances. I honestly think much like the other game, I can see Parramatta winning this game. I'm going to tip Melbourne in Melbourne because I don't think they'll lose back-to-back home finals. And if they do, I think that'd be a huge disappointment even though I think this year they've massively overachieved with the squad they've got. I think to go 20-4 and and break the records they've did and still be first in attack and first in defence with so many changes and chopping and changing of blokes coming in during the year and the evolution of this side, I think that's huge. But I'd be bitterly disappointed to think you win the minor premiership, 20 games, four losses by a combined total of eight points and you go bang, bang out the back door. Mm. So no, I'm going to back the storm. Melbourne. Melbourne in Melbourne. But Parramatta, that, it really wouldn't shock me. No. I, I mean, it, if, they, if they're able to get field position... But I also think, similar to what we said about Manly, Melbourne are going to bring a certain style of game to this. They're going to bring a spoiling style. And the, the conditions, field. again, aren't going to be the same. So for Parramatta, I still think even if it gets into a shit fight, if they're up for it like they were last week and aggressive, mm-hmm. they can certainly meet Melbourne in that style of game if they stay <coughs> disciplined. They've yeah. got enough in their back five yardage-wise in their forward pack to still match Melbourne, if not better than Melbourne. Probably better in the back five department as far as set starts concerned. It's just a matter of whether they're willing to do it for 80 minutes, and we know that's the way you beat Melbourne. Yeah. You have to be there for 80 minutes. So I think power are a big chance. Uh, I will tip Melbourne, but, yeah, this should be a cracker oh, game. I've got a couple of bets. Just like the other one. But we go through the odds first. Thanks to the Pro Sports Syndicate. The Melbourne Storm, $1.38. That's pretty short. 3.05 for power. Good value there if you like it. Eight and a half points if you like that one. Storm, 1-12 to with the Pro Sports Syndicate of $3.475 for para. 13 plus $2.25 by the Storm, $8.00. For Parramatta, you've got bets. What do you got? I've got, I'm going to have a three and a half again. South minus three and a half into the storm minus three and a half. And that is paying $2.68. And then the other one, it's a horse racing bet. We're heading in the spring carnival. Wow. Ramwick race. Oh, well, there's a couple of punters out there, a couple of people in inbox asking for tips. Here's a tip. It's going to be raining in Sydney. Ramwick race seven, number two of Villiers. Currently 360. Uh, it ran two weeks ago and was even odds, didn't run very well. Yeah, but it's one, it. it's one, it's previous two in the wet. Those odds are silly. Uh, as soon as you hear this, go and have a little nibble. You get good odds because you won't be getting those odds on Saturday, I wouldn't imagine. Yep. Free information. Well, I could be completely wrong. And I think <coughs> think both these games are going to be tight. So I'm going to go both teams 1 to 12. So. 
South for me, I think Manly will give them plenty and it'll be a close game, but I think they'll get home in a 1-12 to and the Storm. Well, just with the weather, man. Given the conditions, again, I think, again, I trust them more in a bit of an ugly that, that, grind. The South game went. is Friday, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, it's, gonna, be it's Wednesday night here and it's pissed down for the last 36 hours. So, yeah. so both those games for me, I'm going to take both the favourites, 1-12, to and the odds on those, you get 290 for Souths and you get $3 for Melbourne. Bada bing, bada boom. And if the results go the way that we think they're going to go, that will leave us the week after with the Roosters playing the Storm in Sydney at the SCG and with the Canberra Raiders. You said that we were going to go, but we can't go to that. I got a Bucks party. Ugh. I was keen I as mustard because I thought if they if they and win, what would they... the other game be? Canberra, Canberra in Canberra. And I must say again, hate doing flashbacks. But we do one of the best games I've ever attended was when I was still in Canberra 2010 when they played the Tigers and lost that final in Canberra yeah. at Louis Nay. But that was the red hot year. Anyone, we got Canberra fans that listen, but anyone that is a fan, buy your tickets of Manly or South. Get down there because that place, honestly, it's an underrated stadium when it's rocking. And now that the whole fight, that wasn't involved in twenty ten, but I thought it was one of the loudest games I've ever been at. Mm. With the way things are going this day, almost a decade on, that's going to be insane. Mental. So if they live up to the performance, that could be one of the best games you've ever attended. Buy a ticket if you're a South or a Manly fan, or even if you're not. If you're just a rugby league lover like us, that's a game I'd go to. Yeah, I'd honestly we'll see what day the do. Do we know what day the Roosters game is going to fall on? I think they already scheduled it that the Roosters game is the Saturday. I think the Canberra game is the Friday because I think I said to you, Canberra mm, will get the extra day. Well, I thought the listing I saw, I thought for no, Fox. If you're minor premier or you're because Roosters were second, weren't they? Yeah, I, well, I, all I saw was... They a, should get the extra day's rest. I think it was a listing that I saw for Fox or someone saying, like, the final on the way it would be. Yeah, Canberra's Friday night. They've already got booked into the website here. Canberra's the Friday night. Saturday is the Roosters game. Okay. So, Roosters Saturday the week oh, after at the SCG. Well, I, I, I don't know what I've got on, but I would like to get to it. Mm. Well, I accept. If I didn't have the Bucks party and it's going to be a good time, I definitely would have been going to Storm if they win. Even if they didn't, I'd be happy to go to that game or... A road trip's probably out of the question for us at this point in time, but I reckon Canberra would have been a hell of a place to go for that game. But there you go. Sorry for the delay, everyone out there, but life happens sometimes. Health and work and all these bits and pieces, but we're always here. We got it done. Obviously, no fan questions this week, but I'm always happy, as I said, if you've got any pressing issues or anything you think we didn't cover, send it in the inbox. Happy to type back. Happy to reply. But for now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on, give us more, give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.